All right, good morning. My name is Nathan Chang. I'm a church planning resident here, and what that means is I'm just incubating for a season until New City sends me out. So uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever asked people, how many times has this happened? You ask people how they're doing, and they say, oh, busy. <laughs> and it's not really an answer to your question, is it? It's like, no, I asked how you're doing, not, you know. So, so, but you can tell with people's body language and the way they sigh, what they're really saying is, I am tired and overwhelmed, right? This seems really loud. No? We're good? Okay. All right. I mean, think about this. Work, school, family functions, your kids' activities, church activities, house projects, your house upkeep, committee meetings, making dinner, personal devotions, on and on and on and on. And so when, when, when we're busy in an unhealthy way, um, we get angry and frustrated a lot, don't we? We, we, we regularly forget things. We're, overly, we're easily overwhelmed by even small tasks. We're tired, but we can't sleep or rest. And, 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 and this is the kicker. You feel guilty doing anything for yourself, right? So when I say in this believe um, subject, we're going to be focusing on offering my time. Hello? I'm sure this will trigger in many of you going, great, one more thing to add to my schedule, right? But, 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 but this is not my goal. My goal is to align our thinking about time with God's will. My goal is to encourage you. My prayer is that we, New City Miriam, will be productive that extends the kingdom of God. So here's the idea that if you've been in the believe group uh, that we've been through this week, I offer my time to fulfill God's purposes. I offer my time to fulfill God's purposes. So the key passage we're going to look at today is, is Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. This is the word of God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right, so usually when I preach, I like to take a passage, walk through it literarily, have the scripture guide us in through. Um, but I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to take these three verses and just step back and look at it like a, like a Rembrandt painting, if you will. And, 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 and I want to just take in the various fine details for us to live out and obey. So the first thing we're going to think about as we think about offering our time is, is to begin with the foundation and ask, why should we make use of our time? Look carefully how we walk. Why should we make the best use of our time? Why should we try to understand what the will of the Lord is? We've got to ask Why? And the first point is time belongs to God. That's why. Just like our finances. If, you're, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you confess and I confess that time is not my own. It is his. But, 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 but what I want to ask is, what is time? You ever thought about that? At, at first glance, you would think, well, it's self-evident. 
Uh, time is, 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 is 60 minutes has, is, is one hour. A day is 24 hours. Um, a year has 365 and a quarter days. But rarely do we think about the fundamental nature of time. There's whole philosophical debates on what it is. And, and, and it, because you can't observe it, you can't hold on to it on its own, you have to have a reference point. Case in point, I'm about to bring in astrophysics into a sermon, okay? Get ready for this. You know, if you've studied Einstein, or at least read about Einstein, he, f- he found out, and we found out in the 20th century, time is not absolute. It's relative. Like the special theory, I mean, the theory of special relativity. If you go faster and faster and faster and get closer to the speed of light, which you can't go faster than, time slows down. Isn't that weird? And then the general relativity says, uh, the closer you are to, um, uh, the, the bigger the mass is and the closer you are to it, the more time slows down because that mass is warping space and time. Weird stuff. So if you're, let's say you can survive and stand on a black hole, time will slow down, everybody's just buzzing by. You come out of that black hole, it's like 80 years later. It's craziness. Time is relative. Time has to have a reference point. And how do we measure time? Through motion, right? So we we measure time through observing the Earth's rotation around the sun. Everything extrapolates from that. We don't randomly say 60 minutes. We don't randomly say 24 days. We observe the earth going around the sun. The sun goes, there's a cycle here. Okay, and now we measure that time. That means everything we do as a human society is based on that motion. We don't realize or think about how dependent we are on that. And because that motion is ongoing, time keeps passing by. And who put that motion into place? God. So here's, here's the kicker. The Bible starts off with the concept of time. You know this famous verse, if you've been around the, the church, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Do you see how time began with motion? I'm trying to bring in a point. I'm not doing a science le- uh, 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 lesson here. Time began with a motion. And so before God's activity in creation, there was no time because there's no reference point. All there is is eternity past. When God began the activity of creation, you have a beginning. God gave birth to time. And so therefore time is his. We don't take it away from him. It's his. And so what I want to say to you is, this verse in Genesis 1.1 isn't ultimately about a study of the origins of the universe. It's not merely enough to confess that God is the reason everything exists. If you believe that, good. Even demons believe that. Do you know what Genesis 1.1 is really saying to you? I'm going to de- So what, what the Bible is trying to say here is, I'm going to tell you the most amazing story you will ever hear, and you need to hear it because it's about life and death, but before we get to the story, there's one thing you've got to get straight. God is God. Genesis 1-1 is telling you whom you owe your allegiance to. Okay? So think about this. In Genesis 1-1, uh, think about the original audience. Who was the, this written to? This was written to Israel while they were waiting to enter the promised land. Moses was preparing the Israelites 
And, and, and think about this. Culturally speaking, Israel was indeed uniquely Hebrew. But after 400 years of living in a different country, you're bound to be more and more like that. You're bound to take up their assumptions. And Egypt worshipped many gods, but chief among them all was a god named Ra, the sun god. And in their creation narrative, Ra uh, created everything out of a watery mass, very similar to Genesis 1-2. And Moses is just smacking that in the face and said, no, there's only one God, and that God is the creator of all things, and his name is Yahweh. That's whom you owe your allegiance to. So in this in this creation of time, Moses is saying, the, the Bible is saying, you owe your allegiance to God. Time is God's. That's what we have to establish first and foremost. That's why we're asking, um, why should we make the best use of our time? It's his. God put everything in motion. Here's a funny thing. Here's the kicker about the creation narrative. The sun wasn't even created till the fourth day. Okay, just a little more slap in the face of raw. All right, it's like you weren't even there till the fourth day. All right, so 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 God put everything in motion, and so we have two choices then on on time on Earth. Either we fall in line with God's good design and flourish as a result, as good stewards of His time, or you rebel outside of His design and you frustrate yourself and society. So I want to ask then, how do you view your time? It's something we protect, don't we? we want, this is my time. I'm busy enough already. Do you see it as yours? Let me tell you something. It is the height of arrogance to think you own something that you can't control. Time belongs to God. So when we say offering my time, what we're really saying is we're making use of a resource that we are to steward. We have a limited time on earth. God's given us this. He knows when you will start and when you will end. How, are we using, how do we view it, first of all? Is it yours or is it God's? And that's why we carefully see how we walk. We carefully make the best use of our time. We try to understand God's will. The foundation of it all is time belongs to God. And that's good news. He's in control. He's a good God. He is sovereign over all things. And we get to live in it. So, so this leads us to our second point. If we recognize that time belongs to God, then we use our borrowed time to the second point, serve God's purpose. So we, we understand, if, we, if, if we've been following Christ, that if, if, if you want to know God's will, you've got to look to the Bible, the revelation of God, his revealed will. We look to the Bible, the word of God. And here's the interesting thing is what the Bible does. Instead of memorizing a set of propositions, the Bible gives us a story to abide by. You know what I mean? There's this, there's this, uh, there's the, the, the time plays an essential part in, in, in God's will, where there is a beginning, there's a middle, and there is indeed an end. And we're, and our little story, our little sliver of a story is part of this grand narrative. And we got to understand that grand narrative, and we're going to understand the purpose of our life, to understand God's purpose. Because life is so short. I'm about to turn 40, and it feels like that. 
And those of you older than me, you know it feels like that. And it's like, geez, there's way less ahead of me than there is behind me. What's the purpose of my little life? 400 years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back, no one's going to remember me. So what's the, what's, what's the point? We've got to figure that out. And it does matter if you understand the big grand narrative, if you understand time appropriately. So here's the problem with what I'm observing many churches. Far too often, Christians start the, the story too late and end it too early. It goes something like this. In the beginning, there was a paradise with Adam and Eve in it. But they messed up because they listened to Satan and they ate the forbidden fruit. And now death is introduced into this world. People die. And based on whether you are a sinner or not, which is everybody, there's two choices after death, heaven or hell. And because nobody can go to heaven on their own works, um, uh, Jesus had to come and, 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 and die for our sins on the cross. And then he takes up all our sins by faith. We have to have it by faith. He takes all our sins and then he gives us his righteousness. There's this exchange here by faith. And now, yay, we get to go to heaven. That's our ticket. The end. That's the typical story. Now, do I believe in that? Of course I do. I'm a good Protestant. That's why we had this Reformation in the 1500s, because the church was wrongly teaching that you've got to earn your way into God's favor. And says, no, 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 the Bible says it's by faith. But, but in the meantime, yes, we're going to heaven. What now? Do you see how limiting the story is? So it's not wrong, it's just not the whole story. And we got to expand that story. We started too late and we ended too early. Jesus tells us what, the, what, what, what links everything, what links this whole Bible, what is the whole purpose of, of God when he is moving in this world. And he tells us what, he has been, what God has been trying to accomplish from the very beginning. What is it? What is the whole thing that holds everything together? God is building the kingdom of God. That's what all his parables have been about. That's what all of his teachings. And then when Jesus died and rose again and he came back to see his disciples, that's all he talked about was the kingdom. And for some reason, we leave that out. It's all about going to heaven. Let's start the story, let's, the earlier, from the very beginning. God created the world. What happened in that before the fall? When God created humans, he created them in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.28 then tells us God's purpose for humanity. It says this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. This is God's purpose for humanity. The fall did not take this away. This continues to be God's purpose. So why aren't we focused on this? Why aren't we incorporating this into the grand narrative? God has a plan. He has a design. 
that he's bringing us, that Jesus is bringing us back to. So, so let's look at this one at a time. Be fruitful. Now, remember, I think a lot of people just kind of glaze over and it's like, be fruitful. I don't know what that means. Um, I teach American history at Kansas Christian College, and I ask the students, what, what do you think be fruitful means? They go, uh, make babies? Like, no. Let's think about this. What's the, what, remember what the first vocation of humanity was? It was gardening, right? It was gardening. Adam and Eve were gardeners, not park rangers. I think many times in our, in our imagination, we imagine just this forest, or I don't know, I see in popular paintings, a forest, just a natural landscape, and Adam and Eve just walking naked and just walking through it, just enjoying life, being lazy. It was blissful. That's not what it is. You know a garden when you see one. It's not natural. It's orderly. It's beautiful. It's useful. When you walk to a place you've never seen before and you walk and you see a garden, you can tell someone's been here before. Someone worked this. It's not natural. That's the Garden of Eden. God was saying, look at this. I want you to do this to the rest of the world. So the idea of being fruitful then in this context is, Adam, Eve, bring forth fruit. Grow, prune, fertilize, increase, harvest. In other words, be productive. Do you know what this means? Part of fulfilling God's purpose in offering our time is to do your job well. I think we have a deficient theology of work in many churches. Because if you ask the average Christian, hey, what does it mean to follow Christ at work? This is what they'll tell you. Well, I try to share my faith whenever I can, and that's it. And it's like, good, but don't undermine work itself. That's a God-ordained purpose. And and what I'm saying to us is, we got to get over the secular and and sacred divide that we create for ourselves. No, 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 your work is holy. So what I want to, it is God's design. What I want to know is, if it's not the result of the fall, um, how do we view it? Work was designed to contribute to God's kingdom. It's It's not about compensation. That's usually how we think of work. Well, I need to feed my family, so I work. No, no, no. Work is about contribution. So say at home, moms, you're working. And so if we can just rethink about how we view our time, maybe you'll see that your work is not a waste of time, no matter how much you hate it. Your work is contributing to the kingdom of God. And so, when you hear me talk about offering our time, what I want us to, to go beyond is this is not just adding an extracurricular activity. Discipleship is not about an extracurricular activity. No, no, no. I want us to rethink how we're already living life. And, 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 and what if life was more than just looking forward to the weekends? What if, uh, what if God's purpose is the work week along with the, the sacred day of the Sabbath? What if we viewed work 
above, it's a necessary evil, but we see it as good and holy. What if we viewed a doctor just as valuable as a laborer, as a receptionist, as an accountant, as a teacher, as just as holy as a pastor's job? Your job is a vital part of building the kingdom of God. That's what I want to tell you. So if you didn't know that, rethink that. That's why you should work as unto the Lord. Be productive. Be fruitful at your jobs. You should work harder than any non-Christian at your job. Because it's, you are working unto the Lord. You're building the kingdom of God with your job. That's always been part of the plan. So here's the next part of God's purpose for humanity. Multiply. Part of the reason God calls us to multiply is to diversify these talents and giftedness. Right? I love one of my favorite theologians, Herman Bavink, said, I begged my wife if we could name one of our sons Herman. She said no, because she didn't like the name. But I love Herman Bavink, and, and, and let me show you why. He said this, Not the man alone nor the man and woman together, but only the whole of humanity is the fully developed image of God, his children and offspring. The image of God is much too rich for it to be fully realized in a single human being, however richly gifted that human being may be. It can only be somewhat unfolded in its depth and riches in a humanity counting billions of members. We're getting closer and closer of what it means to reflect God, but it's going to take trillions to get even closer. Such is the glory of God. One person isn't enough. So God says, multiply, multiply, multiply. We're bringing glory to this world. So being envious or wanting to be like someone else is one of the most tragic things you can do. You have a unique and wonderful identity. There's something about you that makes you tick that doesn't make other people tick. Like what accountants do? I'm like, are you serious? (laughs) But some people love that stuff. God designed them wonderfully and fearfully that way. Um, I'm going to pull out a Mr. Rogers quote. He used to always say, every episode, you are a very special person. There's only one like you in the whole world. There's never been anyone like you before, and there never will be again. Only you. And people can like you exactly as you are. Now, in the past, I would have been like, please cut the cheesiness. That's terrible. But wow, until I saw that documentary that came out in the movie theaters, that changed my my view of Mr. Rogers forever. I didn't know he was coming from a biblical point of view. That's his whole message is the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbors as as yourself. And I'm like, wow, respect Mr. Rogers. So if we can just accept that you and every person have been fearfully and wonderfully made, then we can accept that God cares very much about our time, how we use our time, because only you can fill your time the way you do. 
It matters. So it's, I don't think it's a waste of time to take time to discover what your unique created identity is, if you haven't already, and then to really uh, pour out all you can to live it. Here's the problem. We regularly transgress outside of God's design. We just think that we know better. We think we can make better use of our time. We, we, we mess up priorities. We hate ourselves. We don't love our neighbors. We pervert God's call in Genesis 1.28. Look what else we pervert. The next part is, and I'm just going to combine it all together, fill the earth, subdue it, exercise dominion over all the animals everywhere. Do you guys realize that this is kingdom language? The kingdom didn't start with Jesus. Jesus is hearkening back to what was there from the very beginning. God was building the kingdom of God from the very beginning. He's saying to you, rule. Exercise dominion. Not in tyranny, in a way that reflects me, who is good. Me as in God. But, but, but this is how we were supposed to rule, as vice regents. In the ancient Near Eastern time, uh, emperors would, would take over, and then how he would organize everything is he would put in different vice regents to rule different areas on his behalf. That's what God is, is asking of us, to be his vice regents. We're, rule, we're supposed to rule on his behalf. But with sin, we've subverted that, his good design, and we build our own kingdoms. That's what was the matter with Adam and Eve from the very beginning. They wanted to build their own kingdom, and that's where all the trouble begins in our world. And so, so much time is wasted when we don't pursue God's purposes. When I was in college, um, I heard a talk from John Piper pleading with students not to waste their lives. It was at this big conference called One Day Passion. And, and, and he read a story from Reader's Digest that he found to be a tragedy. Quote, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler playing softball and collecting shells. And then he went on to say, that's a tragedy. (laughs) And he was saying, people spend billions and billions of dollars to get you to buy into that dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting seashells. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did, you can say, here it is, Lord, my show collection. And I've got a nice swing. And here's my boat. Here's the thing. None of those things are obviously bad or wrong. It's to whom or what you give your time that determines whether or not you've been wasting your life. And Jesus is, again, bringing us back to God's purposes, which is the kingdom of God as prescribed in the the Garden of Eden. So how are we managing our time? God cares. 
Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So let's be wise to look forward also to the end. So we, we, we cover the beginning. We're thinking about what it means in the middle. What about the end? We end the story too early. We talk about heaven. Then what? I've asked many young Christians, do you get excited about heaven? They give me an honest answer. No, not really. Why? Because they imagine just floating in clouds because of popular culture with their halo and singing. Sounds like hell to me. I love singing, but not for 10,000 years. Consider these following passages. Psalm 62, 12. For you will render to a man according to his work. Romans 2, 6. He will render to each one according to his works. There are dozens of passages like that telling you again and again and again what you do now matters. You will be rewarded. Somehow we kind of just do away with that because we're so fixed on we're going to heaven. Jesus was my ticket. What does it matter? If you think about kingdom and expanding your story, it does matter. Why? Because your hope isn't escape into heaven. That's not your hope. Your hope is what Jesus tells us to pray, and we sang about it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. That's our hope. John gives us a vision in Revelation 21, 22 about our hope. And, and an angel tells John, let me show you the bride of Christ. Do you know what that vision was? It was a city. It was Jerusalem, new Jerusalem coming down. Now, I don't read that literally. It's a sign. John tells us in Revelation 1, 1 how to read this. These are signs. This was a sign. And it didn't stay up in heaven. It was descending, wasn't it? This, and, 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 and there will be a time, what we're seeing here in this vision is God and man will be together on earth. On earth. And kings will bring glory to this bride. So what you do now will help build that reality, no matter how small. And, in, and believe me, I don't care how big you think you are, it's going to be small. Because God's calling billions and billions of people to help build this. It's going to take that much. You can and you must contribute. Christ isn't going to do all the work. He's inviting us to do this work, to build the kingdom of God. So what are you doing with your time? Jesus says in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom after Christ's death and resurrection is here. It's here right now, but not in its fullness. It's here, but not yet. And someday, the glory of God will cover the earth as the water covers the sea, and Jesus will return. And, and, and this is the vision of when that happens. Revelation 22, 1 through 5, just notice the imagery here. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Kingdom! Through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, 
with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their, the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Don't you see the kingdom? It doesn't go away. It was there from the beginning, it's there now, and it will be in the end. That's God's purpose. How are you giving your time? That's our hope. We're going back to the Garden of Eden. Not literally, but back to the purposes that was prescribed in the Garden of Eden. Back to its design, its delights. Does that get you excited? That that's our hope. That's guaranteed. Satan can't do anything about that. The garden has progressed into a city. That's God's design. And in this new society, it is a life without sin. It is a life without a new, with a, it is a life with a new body without decay. It is a life in eternal fellowship with God. It is a life loving our neighbors as ourselves. It is a life without shame. It is a life where you fully embrace your unique identity that God has created you to be. It is a life where you can contribute to the new city of God without frustration. Yes, we will work in eternity but it won't be frustrating. You'll love it. In life where you and the world can continue to flourish forever and ever and ever. That's our hope. That's our hope. So, so let me conclude. What about today? Now that we've expanded the story that we typically tell, what, how are you using your time to bring about this reality? Because that's what the church is doing. We can't do this on our own. We've got a lot of work to do. That's why we have the church. God has ordained the church to bring about this reality, not the government, not any social workers, not any psychologists. The church is the one that's building the kingdom of God. So you can effectively show the world what the kingdom is by embodying it together. This is how we love one another. This is how we serve one another This is how we take seriously our jobs, and on and on and on. And so, I grew up in Johnson County. I'm totally familiar with it, and then when I came back, it was still the same. uh, My uh, my wife and I, we'd left Kansas City for 20 years, came back, it's still the same. Do you know, I think, this is my observation with Johnson County, there's many idols here, but I think one of the most common idols is comfort. We guard that well. And because of that, it's so deadening to our souls. There's no power. There's no passion. Just, I want to have my own little kingdom in my little suburb. What if, though, New City Miriam, we're willing to take a step of faith, risk for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, and give our lives to that. Maybe there will be discomfort, but so be it. The rewards are far better than your little comfort. And believe me, I'm there with you. I'm a Johnson County product. But we've got to smash that idol. 
What will New City Merriam look like if we all collectively take that risk and, and we, 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 we start inviting people who don't know because they're looking for flourishing in all the wrong places, in their family, in sports, in, in their jobs, in money, in houses. And, 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 and that desire to flourish is right. You've been designed to flourish and to make flourish, but it's in all the wrong places. What if, as a church, we start bringing them in and we show them, no, 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 no. True flourishing comes through Jesus Christ alone. What will New City Merriam look like next year, in five years, in ten years? I don't know about you, but I'm getting excited about what that looks like. Look carefully how you walk. Make the best use of time. Try to understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me pray. Father, when I say Father... um, I'm, I'm just reminded how the ancients would call their kings father. And that's what, that's what we're declaring to you, Father. You are our king. We are your vice-regents. We are promised that we will reign with you forever and ever. But, Father, as we worship, um, we just look at you. We're not worthy. It's only by grace this is possible. And so we lay down our crowns at your feet, Father. Jesus, we can't wait to see your throne on earth as it is in heaven. Victory belongs to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.